I'm Jerry McNabb. This is how you sell without selling out. Rogers That. Hi, everybody. I'm Rogers Healy, and welcome to Rogers That, a podcast dedicated to selling without selling out. And today we have somebody that, um, very simply put, is one of the handful of people that have changed my life for the better forever. Um, I think that as a business owner and as someone with a little bit of an ego, um, a control freak, anything that goes along those lines of um, just stuff that takes a while to figure out, I, I definitely epitomized it and it led me to this podcast. But uh, this person today led me to the person that I became that led me to this podcast. Um, in short, he teaches you how to think. And I think through that journey of thinking, you find out a lot about yourself. A lot of it is not very fun, so much so to where the first time I met with uh, this gentleman, who I'm about to introduce, uh, one of the takeaways I got was that I was not emotionally intelligent. And uh, that led me on a journey to figuring out uh, maybe a little bit about emotional intelligence, but mostly about myself. And I think that as, a, um, as, a, as I've gotten older, I think it's really important to find out first what you suck at. And indirectly, this person uh, led me led me to all those things very quickly, which put me on a journey to find myself and find things that I really wanted to um, pursue professionally, uh, spiritually, but also uh, personally. Uh, so he, he teaches you how to think. And then through that, uh, he gives you guidance that um, most people never have the gift of receiving. Uh, fun fact, uh, his name is Jerry McNabb. And Jerry is one of my dad's best friends. And every time I'd hit a roadblock as an entrepreneur, my dad would say, call Jerry. I'm like, I don't need Jerry. I don't need anybody. I'm going to figure it out. So this kind of cycle kept going, and I'm getting to a point here, but this is a, a really special moment for me. Uh, but finally, about seven or eight years ago, it reached a point where I was just in a pit. Everything that could have gone wrong did, and I had nothing left. I called my dad. He goes, call Jerry. I was like, fine, I'm going to call Jerry. Uh, meet with Jerry, and I'm the kind of person that really wants immediate gratification. I want immediate results, and I'm a driver. I'm a hunter, and very type A. Uh, and our first meeting, I'll never forget it, I know he won't either, was on a really special day. And um, I knew that it was going to take at least three or four months to get to graduating from Jerry's school, um, because that's kind of what most people would do. It took me eight years. And for uh, seven or eight years, uh, it was it, it was one of the most memorable times of my life, uh, especially the last six to eight months of it, because it was actually enjoyable. Uh, but he taught me how to think. And most importantly, he taught me that uh, everyone needs a mentor. Everyone needs somebody that they're not related to to shoot them straight, uh, because that is what a leader is supposed to do. And in turn, he has given me significance and he's helped me find a path um, that has led me here today. And so very long winded intro to someone who means a lot to me. I consider him a second father. I consider him the reason that I met my wife consider him the reason I'm doing a podcast. So uh, out of all the episodes, other than my dad, uh, I can promise you this is going to be something something different. And so with all that to be said, it's my pleasure to introduce today's guest, Jerry McNabb. Well, thank you, Rogers. Nice to be with you. Yeah, nice to be with you too. Um, so Jerry, I'd like to start with a question that I ask all of my students. What has become clearer since we last met? <laughs> well, um, I think probably... Um, the clearest thing that I could probably, that would come to mind is, since you mentioned thinking, uh, Henry Ford said, thinking is the hardest work there, work there is. I guess that's why so few engage in it. Yeah, and I used to be on the other side of thinking. Um, yeah. But, but you know, it, being, uh, being for real for a second, being serious for a second, maybe give us a little background on, on Jerry McNabb and you know, you've done so much in so little time and, uh, you know, it led you to a point where you wanted to go and 
give the gift of confidence and, um, you know, significance to people because you had it so quickly, but what, what's the, what's the quick and quick and dirty bio on Jerry? Well, the, um, I guess the foundation for my life really started with my father, um, who was a fantastic dad, um, and I didn't know it at the time, but he was really a major influence in my life, uh, somewhat of a mentor. I didn't even know what mentor was at that age. But we, 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 I started life, he was a serious entrepreneur. Uh, we were living on a ranch. Uh, he had uh, activities, and at that time he was focused on the, the agricultural community and various companies inside the, the agricultural industry. But what really uh, struck me, he was very active with uh, Texas A&M and the uh, U.S. Department of, of Agriculture. And what he helped do is promote and, and even practice uh, soil conservation. And I, I, that was a foundation for me to understand the environment, how much, it, how important it was. And then from there, how, you, how old were you? Oh, probably. Um, that, I can remember that's about eight or nine long in there. So you're eight or nine. I'm 42. I don't even know what soil conservation is. So again, you you had the leg up on me <laughs> um, at, at an early age. But so you saw this from a firsthand experience and saw your father, who was your hero, your mentor, but also mm-hmm. living what he was what he was preaching. Right. Soil conservation was basically you would you would you would till the earth and make these kind of mounds that would you know control flooding, and and then plant crops, different types of crops and variations, um, and so that was the foundation of watching that, and then you know they from A and M would come in and do research on it, and they would come up with best practices, and so that was an important element of it. The other part is when you're living on a ranch, you learn about animals. And animals are one of the best teachers in my life that I've had. They really teach you uh, things that you think you know that you don't know, but they keep you out of arm's way. And then they also make you appreciate the importance of like a horse. You know, a horse has been in our history forever, but the horse is so uh, practical and so much fun after you learn to ride. A little difficult until you get that bouncing of the saddle and get legs long enough to get them in the stirrups. But uh, that was a great foundation. If you were an animal, what would you be? I'd probably be a horse. What kind of horse? Like a, like a Shetland pony? <laughs> no, you know, probably some type of quarterback horse. You know, just a, a horse that you could get on the radio, rodeo ring and ride and rope and stuff like that. Nice. I'd probably be a horse that was in like the circus and that was maybe not fast, but uh, like funny horse. Like I'd be a Shetland pony. Maybe, uh, yeah, like a little, is a Shetland a little small horse? Right, right. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be one of those. So uh, you're eight years old and you, you start to see significance and you start to understand, you know, that you're, you got a unique gift of intellect and kind of connecting the dots. And, you know, you lived in Mexico, you had a really unique background that led you to Baylor and at what point did you realize that your gift was kind of giving other people a gift? Was it something throughout your entrepreneurial career of owning title companies, being in the oil and the gas industry, private equity, all the different groups that you're a part of, you know, globally? What, what was the path that led you to kind of that, you know, inflection point? 
Well, I, I do think the Mexican culture, um, living in Mexico City, was really fantastic. You know, you have Mexicans in, in South Texas, but it's a Tex-Mex. When I went to private school, you know, when I got there, uh, they kind of laughed at me because, you know, I had this kind of slang of Spanish, and, and they, and of course, you know, I happened to wear boots my first day, and from then on, my na- my nickname was Tex. But uh, I think learning the graces, the social graces of living in a larger city, uh, it's it's a very multicultural community with people from a lot of countries. So that was a great foundation. And then traveling all over Mexico, being able to see and learn about the heritage of the Mexican people and the beauty, the beauty of Mexico. Uh, it saddens me about the state of it today, but that was a great foundation. Um, and at some point in my life, it really, someone said to me, uh, do you realize that everybody has a gift for you? Your opportunity in life is to unwrap the gifts that people have for you. And that just hit me really strong. And so... One more a, time. Can you, I want to, I want to dig deeper into that. Someone told you, what was it? Everybody has a gift for you. Your opportunity in life is to unwrap the gifts they have for you. Huh. How old were you when you heard that? That would probably be in my teens. I don't know the exact date. Golly. So. But uh, I was very fortunate. Um, so did you feel like a calling at that moment to go and help people unwrap their gifts? No, I just, I took it, you know, like I used it when I went to Baylor because it was a way to realize, you know, I... I really didn't feel very self-confident at Baylor because there were so many powerful people there. So I used that of always asking, you know, the questions about people and, you know, what they love to do and what they, they really like to study and all the different things they love for sports. And and that was the foundation. And Baylor had a lot of very dynamic individuals today. They, you know, they're great leaders and and some of them are top politicians. But that foundation helped me. I guess I didn't really understand about unwrapping gifts until I was older. Uh, it was just, you know, I just kept using it. And somebody really asked me, you know, where did you pick that up? And I said, I don't remember. And he, they said, well, you, oops. Pardon. Right. Uh, so, um, yeah, the, um, feel free. Pardon me here. I, um, thought I had that on. You can't hear it, but I can hear it. So, um, so what, what I really realized, um, you know, after I got out of college and, and really started life, um, you know, I, I've always, I didn't realize that at Baylor, I, I was in leadership positions of president of the fraternity and, you know, all these different types of governance things at Baylor. And then when I got out of school, I, Turned, you know, I bought half interest in the company, didn't like it, looked around and found another company to buy. What was the first company? What kind of company was it? It was a, a retail. Like um, you just throw that out so casually. I just graduated college and bought a half interest in a company. I think I graduated college. I bought a sweater. So, <laughs> well, you, you probably have, bought a sweater company. Well, no, you have to have the money to buy the sweater. Yeah, true. But I, <clears throat> you know, I'd been in agriculture and so I saw this retail store and I, it kind of looked like a it was peeling, but it didn't last <clears throat> very long. So I got out of that and looked around, and that's my first acquisition was uh, uh, investing in a title company. 
and then kind of built that out with I found a partner we built built that out and expanded it and then from there um, I was pretty active civically um, and at the age of 29 I was invited to be on the board of directors of a, of a regional bank a hundred year old bank the youngest director was 50 and uh, it was just it was just unbelievable and I took advantage of unwrapping the wisdom that they had because they were CEOs and very successful entrepreneurs and they were so gracious to me. And so that foundation and then from there, you know, I happened to be asked to serve on a, you're elected, but, you know, really you're asked and by invitation, I was chairman of the board of a hospital, uh, kind of a regional hospital. Um, Where were you living? What city? It was in Greenville, Texas. It was a. They, we, in fact, we took it and grew it. To, took it first to a county hospital, and, and from there, and the Presbyterian bought it after that. Um, and then, you know, I I started expanding into other, you know, you know, real estate partnerships and owning, you know, some equity and some different types of companies. I didn't really know what I was doing at the time, but in fact, I still have one of those investments today uh, that's been with me, and it's been paying a nice cash dividend every every year. So, but that was my uh, really venture, and I met a group of Europeans that were investing in America, and so I um, they asked me to help them with a financial transaction, which I did. And uh, they said, come to Europe. And I said, I don't know a thing about business in Europe. And they said, well, you got to come because it's Anton's birthday. And so, okay. So I went over there and uh, spent time with them. It turned out there was 12 families doing contouring investing. And, what does that even mean? Sorry, I'm, I'm just going Well, buying low and selling high around the world. Contourian investing? Contourian. Oh, okay. I got you. I got you. And... Um, and then it turned out some of those people I just did not want to, their value system was not the same as mine. So I uh, uh, distanced myself from them and then started uh, helping these families that I'd met. And uh, they got me into family advisory work um, about 22, 22 years ago. So I kind of put myself in a position with the things I'd owned at the time to have the freedom to do that. And, uh, and I, uh, the Europeans kind of had me at an investment bank and the guy said, what do you do? And, and one of the Europeans said, well, let me tell you what McNabb does. They call me McNabb. And, and they, uh, and he, they, he said, well, I don't think I do that. And they said, yeah, that's what you do. And they talked about the work I did with the families and the investment bankers said, would you have, you know, lunch with me tomorrow? And I said, okay. And he said, I've got a family up in Westchester County. I'd like for you to visit. And I said, well, uh, yeah, let's, let's talk. Let me think about it. And, and so evidently, uh, it's something that appealed to me. And so I, said, I called him back and said, I'll fly up. And I was living in Dallas at the time. And um, I'll meet with them. And I met with them and, and, and just they kind of asked what I was doing. And I, you know, I tried to unwrap the gifts they had. And. And they said, would you help me? And I disqualified myself. And I said, I don't have any knowledge. I don't have any education in this field. I said, if you can do half of what you did with some of these Europeans that we know through this investment banker, we'd like for you to help us. And I said, well, 
let's let's do it. You pay my travel expenses, and then if we get to a point that I feel like I I can charge you something, I will. And that was the beginning of it. I mean, did you? And what did that? What was that moment like? Where you realized you could go on wrap gifts to scale, and you could you could turn your passion into a different kind of business. And then again, you're in your early fifties. And you had a no. This was I was younger than that. Okay, well you're in your you're my age. You're in your forties. Yes. And you yes. realize that all of a sudden the light bulb moment of like flipping businesses and looking at world from a different lens, you could actually turn that into a business, and you could turn it into a business of working with high net worth families and family offices, and even people mm-hmm. like me to where your butterfly effect to where it really is about just helping people find uh, significance. You could do that to scale, versus just with one off. Which again, title companies, oil and gas companies, retail, hospitals, et cetera, this was a different kind of impact. Well, it it I didn't know where it was going to go. It just evolved and what it what they had as a uh, multi-generational family and several families together. And so I was helping them with succession planning. I didn't know what the word was at the time, but they had uh, some an enterprise and they were working on. The, you know the next generation to step in and start leading those companies and and you know I've been in leadership all my life and I, and so I and I know about structure just because of things I've done and that's what I started with them and it turned out to really be a lot of fun and then from there I you know got on a plane and went up to Harvard and you know pleaded pleaded with Bill Urey who had the program of negotiation and he introduced me to Howard Gardner and uh, to start learning, and then I, from there, found places I could learn about it and read about it, and and to, to some degree, I had to unlearn and learn at the same time. How would you describe your leadership style or your, you know, consulting or advising style? Well, I, I think it's just being myself, and I think it's about... Well, hold on. There's a quote there that we reference almost every time. you got to be yourself <laughs> because why? Uh, because everybody else is taken. And who who gave who said that quote? I think it's Mr. Oscar Wilde. Oh, I thought it was Don Henley. Oscar Wilde. <laughs> yeah. 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 But but it it it's it it was just a curiosity thing. Um, you know, one of the uh, pillars of wisdom is is you know freedom to have curiosity, and so um, and so I really kind of I have curiosity and and that kind of pull me. And then I just started reading a lot and, and talking to people and trying to find associations I could be part of and talk to other people. And, you know, you the, the nice thing about the world, a lot of people are very forgiving. And so they, a lot of them forgave me for things I shouldn't have done or didn't do, but they were, they were my teachers, really. Hmm. And, um, but I reached a point that I was working with younger people on leadership, and I really like that. And so I have been doing uh, kind of leadership development uh, as part of this process. I've been mentoring and coaching uh, uh, people 28 to 42 in leadership for since 19, oh no, it's about 2002, and uh, have been doing that. And that's where serious uh, work of unwrapping people's gifts that they have. In fact, you know, you gave me the opportunity to see the gifts that you had. And all I did is, is come up to you and said, can I just untie this bow? And and we opened the, opened the lid of the box and I looked down in there and I said, well, wow. And all of a sudden these gifts of yours started coming out and 
It's just that you never looked at yourself in the mirror uh, and, and said, you know, I can do this. I like this. You know, you talk about your passions for music. And I said, well, what are you going to do with that? And, you know, you have you know, really you had so many gifts at that time. And now we're seeing them today. You gave yourself curiosity of freedom and then you really challenge yourself to pursue your excellence in these areas. And what's amazing to me is you're not a, you don't like to read, but you have a mind. That I know how to read. I know how to, barely. But I don't well, like, yeah. But I mean, but you, we all learn differently. And you, what I, what I was able to do is to, to, um, right along beside you, horse to horse, you know, so to speak, and just chat. But I, I could see the way Quarterback with Shetland. Yeah. <laughs> a quarter horse. A quarter horse, sorry. Uh, uh, but um, but I, I could see your um, your passions. I could see your intellect and your curiosity and the way you learn. And, you know, you've, you've got, you have this music room and uh, uh, a... In, well, in a house back of your home. Um, and you, we went, first time I walked through there, you had all these albums up. And, you know, you would, you would you'd say, well, here's Don Henley, or, or here's a song. And you could virtually, out of your mind, sing the lyrics along with those individuals. That's your mental capacity to keep things in your mind. And and I, I just found that so interesting. And and so I tried to do that with a little, everybody I've touched, and I've been very fortunate to, to have a lot of positive feedback from people. What's your advice to people that, you know, maybe, I think I was 30, I was 35, I think, when I, I was 35 when we finally had our, our first meeting, so eight years ago. What's your advice to someone that maybe is longing for that relationship where I found that, you know, I think I do my own version of what you did for me. I tried to prior to us, and then now I think I'm a little bit more um, effective with it. I found that the best way to learn something is to teach, right? And I'm sure that you've learned a lot through your decades of helping people like me. But what, what's the advice if somebody is in a place where they know they have a gift, whether it's the music obsession or it's business or it's whatever it is, but they know that they cannot get to the next level in the rare air like you say, What's your advice as someone who maybe would want to work with a Jerry McNabb? Maybe they want to work with whoever it is. What do you feel like the first step is to actually pursuing those kind of relationships? Uh, that's a wonderful uh, question to play with. I, uh, there's a famous poet. He, she says, it's, it's, she said, it's not what you say. It's not what you do. It's how you make people feel. And so I think that if you can recognize that how you make people feel is going to make the difference in their learning and open, you know, giving them the confidence to unwrap their own gifts. There's no scissors involved. It's unwrapping the bow, carefully taking the lid off, carefully, un, you know, pulling the tissue back. And sometimes there may be multiple gifts in one box. And so have the patience to persevere, but treat those uh, gifts that are inside the box as a precious gem. And, and so that's the way you collect wisdom. You know, one of the things that's important, uh, the, the philosophers have eight pillars of wisdom, and one of them is, is uh, I'll paraphrase it, but it's, 
it's it's the freedom to know thyself. You have to know who you are. And so you really have to take some time to understand who you are. That's what you did. You looked in the mirror and you started understanding who you were and you were honest with yourself and you started giving yourself the freedom. That's another pillar of of wisdom. And you had this huge curiosity, another pillar of wisdom. And then another pillar of wisdom is pursuit of excellence. Everything you do, you do it well. You don't you don't do it unless you can do it well. Sorry, I, I was I was I was listening. Sorry. Um, so, but again, that that journey, and, and maybe for me, for example, right? It's like I I came in not knowing what I didn't I didn't know what I didn't know. How do you go and process that as a professional advisor, as a mentor, knowing that maybe there is something there, right? Maybe there was something that you had to lead me to. Where again, my preferred style was you just to tell me the first day that we met, but you had to, you did the rubber band thing the first day that we, you know, kind of had a conversation and it was either this style where you're pushing somebody or this style where you're pulling somebody and the pulling is the more preferred method. And again, you were, he was, you know, if you're coping, something wrong. Uh, if you guys are Karate Kid fans, it was a Mr. Miyagi approach and it, it genuinely was like wax on, wax off or the chopsticks. And I hated I hated it the first few years and like I dreaded and it was it's just not a surprise I dreaded meeting with him because I knew that I was going to lead I was going to leave knowing additional things that I was not talented in and then finally there was a moment I was like ah I was like I get it right and it started to kind of click but mm-hmm. w- what's that like for you knowing you're walking into a situation with someone who maybe they're broken maybe they don't have the skill set the intellect and you have to go and help facilitate that with real patience knowing it's a, an investment on their side financially, but really more emotionally. What, what is that headspace like? Because what y'all are experiencing today, this is how he always is. You're such a steady, stable person where one of my questions I want to ask, have you ever yelled? Have you ever raised your voice? <laughs> have you ever lost your temper? All these things were truly, it's like you're, you're unbreakable. Uh, but w- w- what is that like knowing that you have to be so mentally trained to walk into a fire that maybe is not going to get put out for a few years or at least a few months. Well, I don't even think about that. I just I just wake up every morning and just try to be myself. I I do I do. Somebody drew a circle in the air and drew a line that cut that circle in half and took the top quarter of it and they drew a line so you have the top half has two quarters and the bottom half has a hole. And so on the left-hand side, I know what I know. I went to Baylor. I, I got an accounting degree and, and a degree in finance and economics. Got out of school and and started doing things. And and I, I realized I know what I know, but gosh, income taxes? Uh, I don't know how to do that. So I went and found a CPA to help me. But there was this area underneath the bottom half. I don't know what I don't know. And I realized I don't know what I don't know. And so the power of the question is so, so important. But when you ask the question, Stephen Covey said so well, seek first to understand before you want to be understood. And, and Colin Powell said, avoid having your ego so close to your position that you, when your position fails, your ego goes with it. So I really read those things and they just stuck with me as don't get your ego in front of yourself, you know, and. You know, you you just want to have simpatico, a Spanish word of kind of, you know, connectivity with people, or simpatica for a woman. 
So it, it just, it, it, it was no, it, it was no architecture to it. It just evolved. Mm. How do you stay true to, you know, you're, you're unfortunately, I, I feel like you're part of a breed that doesn't, it doesn't exist in, in bulk anymore, right? You're such a unique character and it's unfortunate because I feel like the world needs just your genuine greatness. How, how do you stay true to yourself, whether it's maintaining balance or avoiding the temptation of getting sucked into whatever's wrong with the world? But w- what's the secret sauce there? I, I don't I don't know. I think the foundation that came from my father, he was just steady as, as it goes. And, you know, he, he just he never really had an had any kind of uh, ego of using the word I and me and. You know, he was always trying to help others. You know, when, when the, the farm, farm home we had, uh, we had six Mexican families living behind us. And, you know, I used to play with them and ride to school with them, school bus with them. But he had such compassion for those people. And he said to me one day, he said, if you ever do anything that's harmful or rude to these families... Uh, you're not going to like your father as much as you do right now. And it, you know, it's kind of his way, you know, behave yourself or I'm going to come after you and, you know, give you a lesson here. Mm-hmm. But that was the foundation of it. And I, I remember Bill um, Year wrote a book, you know, Getting DS for Yourself. And in that book, he says, when I wake up every morning, I'm looking in that mirror and I'm looking at the guy right now who's going to give me the biggest problems today. And it's me. And so I read that, and I copied it, and then I put a little sign leaving my bathroom. It says, how's your attitude today? And just to remind me, you know, I can be my problem or I can be, you know, a solution to something. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just, I just, the impact, you know, I, I've just had all these people that uh, unwrapped their gifts, and they, they really gave, gave me things I really enjoyed having. And I carry it with me, and and I pay attention to them, and you know, and I, I really enjoy reading, going to things, participating in things. I'm part of an institute, and 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 some things like that. So, it's really interesting if we all have humility, which is is uh, most people don't really see the humility inside you. But it's huge. You have this huge humility. And I think that be able to have humility and go through life with that. And and you really unwrap get, get people's gifts. You, you like to do that. You like to pull people together. And you like to help them stay in a positive attitude. You know, I've seen you on, <laughs> at, at times on LinkedIn where you're Still in your pajamas and your hair is not combed and you're They're popping not pajamas. out. Pajamas, it's like a sweatshirt or something. But yeah, <laughs> well, whatever it was, it, but it was, but you were just being you, and and he's just like, I've got to say this, and so it's just letting. People- but I think it's so. I think the world needs that, and it, it's just again, I think that it's that feeling. It's like when I met my wife. It, like I was like, all right, this is my wife. It yeah. felt natural, but I think that that's a gift that people like you give people that are wanting it and i and i again whether it's me posting a photo in a t-shirt with my hair messed up it's like that's me 
And, and again, I, I think I've really, this whole quote that he mentioned, be yourself, everyone else is taken by Oscar Wilde. I heard it for the first time. The next day I saw it on a bumper sticker on a car and I was like, I want to fully embrace it. But it's almost like mm-hmm. tailoring that as well, where like there is a level of extremity that's probably mm-hmm. classless or it's a, a little bit inauthentic. But I, I feel like you've, again, that's, you're being yourself every single day. And I feel like I am in my own version, which in turn, my butterfly effect that you've had on me, I get to have on others. And then it's just this everyday obsession of really just extracting as much as you can from people, which in turn extracts the most from you. And I feel like, again, through this journey, I found that I want to do my own version of what you do. And I want to do it in things that excite me, whether it's real estate, music, entrepreneurship, venture capital, whatever. Uh, and, And again, it just goes back to where you lit the fire that I didn't know I needed. Um, and, and so, yeah, again, that's one of the reasons I wanted you to, to be on this. And as we start to kind of turn the corner to landing the plane here, uh, some other questions I've always wanted to ask you is, is, is have you ever had a humbling experience in the world of business? Because it's almost, you have a Midas touch. Everything you do, I'm not saying with me, but all the people you work with, all the businesses you've been a part of, all of your journeys have all been, from what I can see, wildly successful. But has there been a moment of... Not, I mean, has there been a humbling moment in, in the business world? Well, of course. Well, you know, we all have them. I think probably for me it was a combination of two things. The mother of my children um, decided that she wanted to be somewhere else other than with my, with me, and which kind of really hit me and pulled me to a low moment. And simultaneously we had this whole banking crisis and I had invested in some banks with some friends. And along with that, it was a real estate crisis. And so I got in, into a point, um, this was in the you know late 80s, you know, it, it was really crushing to wake up. And you think you have, have assets, but they're not liquid. And when, when you don't have liquidity, you know, it, it's a challenge. And there was about four years there that was really, uh, it was tough. It was tough going through the divorce, um, you know, dealing with that. You know, my brother uh, said, meet me at our folks' house. He said, I've got cancer. I'm going to die in six months. I said, hey, Bobby, let me help you. And, you know, I'm involved in this hospital work. And he said, no, I'm going to die, and uh, and which he did. And... um, and then at that time, just before he died, my dad had a heart attack and and really had, had a, a kind of a downtime in his life and started sorted towards the, you know, not being as mobile as he did. So it was a combination of, you know, the financial things, going through the divorce, watching my brother die and watching what my dad was going through. Um, it, it, it was, there were many, many mornings when I, would wake up and I said, I don't think I want to get out of bed today. But there's just something about my father always just said, you got to get out of bed today. The world's waiting for you to go do something. Mm. And uh, But it's, you know, life's not always a bed of roses. I mean, I've had some things I wished had hadn't happened to me, but I learned from them and I was able to, you know, build back. And, and I think the, the the greatest asset I've always had is un, didn't didn't realize it, but I, I've always had a huge leadership capacity. I remember being, you know, in Boy Scout camp, and that you know, 
I'm sitting there, and it's a campfire, and this man comes up to me, come go with me, Jerry. And I said, yes, sir. I thought, gosh, what have I done wrong? And he took me, and they were doing a photo shoot, and myself and three other people, uh, they did a, a, an article and an interview of all three of us, and it was because of leadership. You know, you, I was doing things in kind of a leadership mode in the Boy how, Scouts. How old were you? Oh, that would be in my... You were two. You're the youngest Boy Scout ever. You were tying knots at two. Well, I was a Cub Scout, but no, this was probably, you know, 12, 13, long in there. Yeah, I think most people, again, even me, like you you experienced something like that in the beginning, you might run from it, but you fully embraced it at an early age. And it's again, it's led you to giving people the gift of, I don't even know. I mean, if it, maybe sum it up, tell, tell, not, not to close this off, but sum up in one sentence what you do for a living. This was not part of the questions before, so I'm putting you on the spot. Uh, no, that, that I like that question. Um, or maybe let me let me rephrase it. Uh, when you look back on your professional legacy, how would you describe your professional legacy? Well, I'll go back to the first question. What I try to do is help people be true to thyself. I want every individual I touch to look in the mirror and be true to thyself. And with that, for them to reflect upon the journey we have together, because we talk about their purpose and we talk about their values and we talk about their vision. And so I pull them towards that where they look in the mirror and they answer those questions to themselves. And with that, I encourage, you know, we, we have to think about that quote, it's not what you say, not what you do, it's how you make people feel. I want people to go through life thinking about how they make people feel. And uh, it's been sad in the last, you know, few two or three years or a little longer about our society today, the polarization of it. Um, I, I, I think we all are confronted with it, but it's just a question, how do we deal with polarization? And I think that's what I try to do is to instill upon, instill upon people Back to Stephen Covey's uh, statement, seek first to understand before you want to be understood. And, we, you know, everybody has opinions, you know, get going back to since man's been on this earth. But we have to respect other people as who they are and, and respect their thoughts and try to do what's right. Hmm. I get two more questions. Uh, the first is the best advice, whether the best advice you've given, the best advice you would give somebody, whether it's a quote, um, you know, obviously I'm, I'm everyone, there's a, there's a theme here and it's all about really just finding happiness and finding the ability to breathe. Uh, but if you had to sum that up, what, what would it be? Well, you know, your, your quote about how to sell without selling out is sell yourself to be true to thyself. Hmm. Juryism. One more time for the people in the back. What is it? <laughs> you know, you know how to sell without selling is be true to thyself. And if you can really be true to thyself and sell yourself, then everything else is easy to pull people where you want them to be. I love it. Last question. Uh, how? Well, maybe. Second to last question, how, how do we best support you? What's the best way to find you? Someone's watching this today and they actually want to have a, a conversation. They want to, you know, maybe hire you and have your services. What's the best way to connect with Jerry McNabb? Maybe well, McNabbAdvise.com? <laughs> no, I, I, I have a LinkedIn. Probably the only thing you could find me is on LinkedIn. And uh, 
And, you know, I, I, I've never, I never felt self-confidence that I could go out and promote myself. I, I'm just, I'd really, you know, it's all by referral, you know. You don't want Jerry that? Well, you know, I, you know, you, you, we had lunch one day and you put me on LinkedIn and all of a sudden 200 plus people say to connect with me. And so I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to do that. I, I just, it's just not my makeup to, uh, it's, it's selling, but it's, it's selling by being myself and being true to thyself. And then as I do that, I, I have, I really have a remarkable group of people that refer me opportunities. I mean, I'm right in the middle of something right now, and a great friend of mine, Lee, Lee Colon, um, he said, hey, Jerry, would you help this this, this group for me? And, um, and I said, sure. You know, it just, it just happens that way. Hmm. And I've, you know, I've, I've had so many wonderful things to do across the United States and Mexico and Canada and Europe and but it's all about people that just know people that know me and you know I'm just trying to be myself and and people tend to like it and so and then when I fall down they pick me up and dust me off and say that's okay let's keep going Hmm. so because I'm not perfect and it's a long way to go from a quarter horse versus a Shetland pony and so (laughs) just to bring it back Last question. Um, how do you, what would you encourage people to do when they want to find their version of their Jerry? What would be the first step to find a mentor, an advisor, someone who could give them the gift of literally, literally changing their lives? What's the, what's the best way to do that? I think, I think just step back and, and think about people who you, you know, generally a little older, um, who you respect and, and just ask them, uh, would you help me? And that's the key thing. Will you help me? And then they'll say, well, how can I help you? And you say, well, here's, I'm struggling with, with X or I'm struggling with Y. And that gives them a framework. And they say, well, we'll think about you. And, and then, you know, if people call me up and ask me to help them, I say, I'm not qualified to do that. But here's three people I think you should talk to. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I just think the world, you know, there's givers and takers. And I guess I see in my life there are more givers around than there are takers. And But you have to have a desire. You have to have the patience. Uh, I had a, a young guy uh, come up about three or four months ago, and he'd come over from Holland, which I liked that he was smiling. I did a lot of things around Eindhoven and Antwerp, I mean, uh, turned out in Belgium, which they're just kind of tied together. And he came to married a lady in the United States, and he, he was referred to me by somebody. And uh, we and we met, I guess, two times for probably five or six hours total. And he says, I'd like to do this. And then he uh, called me back and said, you know, I'm just overwhelmed. I've got all this stuff to do. I'm, I'm, I'm getting my MBA. And uh, I said, well, I think you're doing the right thing. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad you're doing that. And, you know, it's it's all about the rhythm. <laughs> what is it that Louis Armstrong said, don't mean a thing unless, a song don't mean a thing unless it's got rhythm. It don't mean a thing if it ain't got... Yeah, yeah. New Orleans is on, yeah. Yeah, so I just let the rhythm of life unfold. 
So, um, well, this was um, a gift. You unwrapped. You're going to unwrap a lot of gifts from people watching this and listening. And I'm mm -hmm. excited that this story will be told forever. And on behalf of everybody, especially my family, thank you for um, all the gifts you've given us and for being a great friend and mentor and for using your gifts. Well, thank you. You've given us a great gift in the world with your daughter, Henley. And uh, I, uh, I just admire how you and Abby are parenting her. And, and it's going to be fun to watch her first year birthday coming up and yeah. watching her unfold. And You won't see it on LinkedIn anymore because we decided to not put her on LinkedIn. But um, you can see it on other social media platforms. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But thank you for allowing me to sit with you and have this conversation and you know it it, it you know it's a feel good to no, no question about it and I, I deeply appreciate it and and I I have the utmost respect for you Rogers and I I visualize really where you're headed uh, and I I don't think you yet understand your calling in life but I like the fact that you're showing up every day and and taking all the challenges but you're doing it in your own way, being graceful about it. But there's so many other opportunities within your skill sets. And I hope that you'll continue that. And so he does this and then it just makes you like what it makes you question everything, everything. So now we need like an episode two once I figure it out. Keep going. Literally, all this eight years of, of these conversations where I'm like, wait a second, am I not supposed to be doing the podcast? Is he telling me maybe I don't need to like it's like, golly, it just sets you on these mental quests that I'm not sleeping tonight. Literally, all y'all watching this, it's it's April 2023. It's April 6th. I'm not sleeping tonight. Well, no, you got to finish the statement, though. But I, this is this is what he does, and it just makes you think, and it just, oh, gosh, it makes you not second-guess stuff, but you, you keep the imagination alive, um, which I you got to finish the statement. But I had to do that because this is, this is real. Well, you know, I like the fact that you're being yourself. Same, because everyone else is taken. Yes, Thanks for, thanks for being a guest today and for sharing your story and your gift with everybody. Rogers, thank you so much.